0: I have come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubble. Gum. They want benign indifference. They want us drunk. We could be pets, we could be food. but all we really are is livestock. There are, of course, those who do not want us to speak. The world needs a wake-up call. We're gonna phone it in. Welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I'm your host, Matt. And today we're going to try step one of the presentation section of our Old World November uh, theme we got going here. So basically what I want to do this month is, uh, in addition to some of the other shows I'm doing, I want to give some uh, video and audio presentations here uh, for you all on a couple of things. And tonight, we're going to hit on the Crystal Palaces of the 1800s. Some of the other things we're going to hit on are the World's Fairs. Uh, I got a big one coming on the Chicago Fair of 1893. And then uh, also, you can hear uh, I have something on the Star Forts, uh, which I just went over with the Legit Bat podcast on Rockfin. Uh, the other night. So if you want to go check that out, uh, you can check that out on dot rockfin.com. And what we're going to do is we're going to start taking a look at some of these. I'm fascinated with architecture right now and the old world architecture and how it was built, who built it, when it was built, Because uh, in a lot of the cases, especially when we get to the World's Fairs, the stories and narratives that were presented don't always add up. So what's the theme of this show? Question everything. And and that's what I want to do here. I'm not questioning the validity of the information. I'm not questioning whether these buildings were there or not. But what I'm questioning is, is how did they get there? When did they get there? And who built them? And I believe that's a fair line of questioning, right? Because we've been presented a narrative that does, doesn't necessarily add up. Now tonight, uh, with the Crystal Palaces, there's there's some sketchy stuff. You know, when we get into the London Crystal Palace, it, some of the story is is questionable at times. But overall, when it comes to these things, these these are pretty legitimate and. I haven't found anything that varies too much from the narrative or something that would be quote unquote, a conspiracy about these. Um, One of the things I did find fascinating is that all of these crystal palaces were built basically in the 1800s. It was a big fad uh, after the one that was built in London in 1851, which was an absolute beautiful monster. I mean, when we get into the pictures of this thing, this thing is just uh, a monstrosity of a building beautiful all glass and iron and just a beautiful layout architecturally sound it's just beautiful but you know we're gonna see that they were all over you know we had them in london we had them in new york we had them in canada we had them in germany we had them in australia And I had never heard of these before. And that's what kind of piqued my interest was I found out about these about a year ago when I was looking into the world's fairs and, you know, 1851 London. That's the first world fair. And this is kind of the first megastructure that we're introduced to from these fairs. So what I want to do tonight is take you through a little presentation. Now, hey, the audio is going to be a little rough because uh, I'm describing pictures and uh, so this will also be on video. Uh, for now, it will be on YouTube, uh, on my YouTube page. Go check out the Great Deception podcast on YouTube. And uh, I'm hoping here in the near future to get it up on BitShoot as well. Uh, I'm a little bit technically slow, so bear with me and trying to navigate through all these sites and posting this to here and there and video files, audio files. Guys, I'm new to this, so you got to bear with me. And I am I am average at best when it comes to the the uh, technology side of this so i'm gonna do my best here and hopefully this comes out nice and clean so what we're gonna look at here tonight is the uh crystal palaces of the 1800s so let's get going right here right now so basically, when I started doing this again, and I, I've been I put together this presentation over the last uh, probably three months. I've been working on this off and on in between working on Star Forts and World's Fairs, and they all kind of blend together and all have their own unique uh, aspects as well. So the one thing that I that really piqued my attention with all these, or at least the first five that I looked into, I looked into London of 1851, which was at a World's Fair. New York, 1853, which was at a World's Fair. And then the the Glass Palace, which was in Germany in 1854, Toronto, 1858, and Montreal in 1860. And when I looked at all of these buildings and structures, they all met a similar end. They all burned in fires. Now, where have we heard that before? I mean, you look across the World's Fairs. What happened? There was always a massive fire, whether it was in the city itself, pre or post fair, during the fair, or they brought in demolition teams to destroy it. So what we're seeing is the destruction of these facilities. Now, these, some of them are questionable arson. And you would wonder who would want to burn these beautiful structures down. I don't know. And that's what we're going to look into. Now, when I present this stuff, what I want you to do is look into it yourself, because this is just what I've found and just what I've come across. And I don't have everything on all of these buildings or all of the crystal palaces. But what I found is a few that I found fascinating and we'll run through them. So basically what we have is, is the construction happened in the, what we're told is from 1850 on and what these structures were, were, and there's varying uh, definitions of what a crystal palace is. Okay. The original crystal palace and, and what I deem a true crystal palace is a structure that is mainly made of an iron frame and contains glass paneling. Now, we're going to see some slight variations with some wood frames, and you're going to see some uh, some roofs that weren't glass, right? But the facade of the building is a glass structure, okay? So, let's get into London, all right? We look at London, the Crystal Palace of 1851, and the picture that I'm showing here is a beautiful structure, and to think that this is made of iron, and glass in the 1850s is just a modern marvel. Think about all the glass they would need to do this. Now, one of the things was at this time frame they did become much better and more efficient at glass making. And, and I believe that was part of what they were showing off here. And part of what they were doing for the, this was for the London uh, World's Fair of 1851. And this was, the show building right this was the spectacle you came to the fair to see this was the monster of the fair okay much like in chicago you had the monster of the midway this is the monster of the fair this is the building you wanted to see so we look at it and it had the shape of a cross was its overall structure and what we come across is this was essentially a hall that was used to hold exhibits and it was said to have held fourteen thousand exhibits from a variety of countries paris and france being one of the largest Uh, america had quite a large presence there and england did as well and then you'll find some other uh, countries that that were in here as well but if we look at the design and the layout what we're seeing in this picture here is you're seeing all the different exhibits and they're laying it out for you in a uh, schematic. So now let's look at the palace itself, this beautiful structure. It was developed on 18 acres of land and took up almost a million square feet of space. It was 990,000 square feet of exhibition space. And basically what it was, it was to display the technology that was developed during the Industrial Revolution. This was their showcase. So the Great Exhibition Building, it was 1,851 feet long, ironically, in 1851, and the interior height of 128 feet, okay? It contained 3,300 iron columns. It had over 10 million feet of glass and 600,000 cubic feet of timber. And what it was, it was, it was a representation of modern architecture and the modern industry that was developing during the industrial revolution. And this thing was massive folks. It was three times the size of St. Paul's cathedral. Now, when we think about the world's fairs, one of the things and the biggest question marks that we have is the time line of the construction. And this is no different. They say that this 18 acres, almost a million square feet of exhibition hall was developed and constructed in six to nine months. And that's the only area of this part of the story where I have some questions. How? How did they manage to get all the materials there? How did they manage to have all of the labor lined up in order to complete this in six to nine months. Some, some estimations or some reports that I've seen were six months, some were nine months. So that's kind of why I give you that big six to nine months, because depending on your source, you're going to get different information. So now we look at this. Sir Paxton was the name of the gentleman who developed this and he developed the plans for this building in 10 days. Now that's another area where I have a question. He designed it to be 1,850 feet long, 400 feet wide, and 128 feet high. That's a massive structure. I mean, we're talking, this is a mammoth. And what you're seeing here is some of the construction photos. So there are construction photos of this. I'm not saying that that it wasn't built from scratch. I'm questioning more so the timeline and when it was built. And I don't know. I don't have the answer for you. By the end of 1850, December, remember, that's when they had construction. 2,000 men were employed to do the construction work for this. It was estimated that the palace could hold anywhere between forty and 60,000 standing people alone on the ground floor. And on opening day, about 25,000 people paid for seats to witness the opening ceremony. That's not a a real impressive number. I mean, 25,000, that's okay. So now what we're going to do is we're going to look at inside. Okay, So inside, the motive of this was to demonstrate to the world the powers that Great Britain had when it comes to industry and technology. They wanted to show off their excellence in durability, strength, and utility in the field of iron and steel, and also machinery and textiles as well. So this was basically a massive glass house from the outside that was made of cast iron frame components. It was an architectural marvel. I mean, you look at this and, and what we're seeing here is a picture of inside the exhibition hall. And what you're seeing here is the crystal fountain, which was one of the centerpieces of the inside of the fair. But if we look inside here, I mean, there's they actually built it around trees, they they left the trees in the ground and built around it. And that's how massive this is. This could encapsulate trees. It was multi-levels, two levels. And just looking at the picture here, you're seeing all of the ironwork and all of the glass. I mean, this had a glass roof as well. Now, where did all the timber come in? That's the floor. Okay. All the floors of these were uh, wood. So... And that will come into play as we dig into these a little more. So what was the main exhibition here? It was art. Okay. Paintings and sketches were the main displays. And uh, Prince Albert, he loved art. So it was his encouragement for painters, artists, and designers. Now, the overall effect of the building, and it's had over 100,000 exhibits, It was overwhelming. A lot of people couldn't see them all, okay. And that's where we get into the, you know, size. How do you go see all this in one day? This is a massive building. We're talking, it was eighteen acres, all right. So the overall effect of the building was just you got in there and it was you're awestruck, okay. So if we look at the uh, at, at the center of it right and again if we're looking at placement in the in the center of where the cross was we showed you the cross uh layout before is this crystal fountain that was made specifically for the exhibition by folet osler out of four tones of pure crystal i mean so if we look at this thing this is a beautiful fountain okay a marvel of its time and to understand that it was made of four tones of crystal is even more amazing. Now, one of the things that you're going to understand with this is there's rumors that this crystal, there's some rumors that it was destroyed in the fire that brought down this beautiful building, but there's also some rumors that that same crystal fountain is still floating around today. And there's even rumors that it may be in Dallas, Texas today. Can that be proven? I don't know. I haven't seen anything to, to promote it or to refute it as of yet. So that's something we could dig into a little more is is what happened to this beautiful crystal fountain? And and what? how did they build it? I mean, it's just a magnificent structure, something you want to look at. I mean, we're looking at... Oh, Jesus. If you compare it to the people, you're probably looking at a minimum of 20 feet tall. And it is just the centerpiece of this beautiful exhibition hall. Now, one of the things that was also in there was the Kohenor, the world's largest diamond. It was on exhibit in in the fair. Rare pale pink diamonds called Daria Enor were part of the collection. So it was, you know, to show off the jewels, of the the crown jewels, okay? And and the Crystal Palace was housed at Hyde Park in London, and it was open for seven months. And it was finally closed on October 15th, 1851. Over 6 million people visited the Crystal Palace exhibition, and on average, more than 40,000 people daily attended the fair. And obviously, each of these fairs has has a peak day. And this one was October 7th, 1851, when they got over 100,000 people, 109,000 people to attend, which is a massive number of people back in 1851. So let's move on. So now we start looking at, okay, what happened to the Crystal Palace? Now, after the fair closed... It is said that the Crystal Palace was taken down, moved, and rebuilt on the grounds of Penge Place estate at Sydenham Hill from 1852 to 1854. So they took it down. It took them three years to take it down, move it, and rebuild it. But it only took them six to nine months to build it initially. So there's one question that remains open. Okay, so we look at the Hyde Park Crystal Palace building was purchased by the Crystal Palace Company for about 70,000 pounds, over three point five million today from Fox and Henderson on August 5th, 1852. The rebuilding began. And this was during a time of high unemployment. So it was a great way to provide jobs for the local people. And they hired seven thousand workmen. Now, were these skilled workmen? Were they craftsmen or were they just 7,000 people they picked up off the street? How many of these guys actually had skill work to work on this? I mean, there was only supposedly 2,000 on the initial one, but we're using 7,000 now. Some more numbers to question. And why did they, what did they do with it? They used it to house the Crystal Palace School of Art, Science, and Literature and the Crystal Palace School of Engineering. And it attracted visitors for over seven decades. It lasted until the 1930s. And if you look, what we have here in these slides is, again, you look at the interior of this. It's just breathtaking with live trees inside. You see the fountain, beautiful statues and ornate decorations. And, you know, people just seem to be enjoying this beautiful structure. And then on the right-hand side here, we have some construction photos. Now, whether this was them taking it down or rebuilding it in uh, Sydenham Hill, I don't know. I couldn't get the details of it. They just said this was a construction photo of the Crystal Palace in London. Then in 1936, this wonderful structure burned in a fire and was lost forever. When the fire struck the palace on November 30th of 1936, years of wear and tear, lack of finance to repair it, it really left it in bad condition. Okay, the fair. One of the things you have to understand is, and we talked about this before, the floors, right? They were made of wood, and if they're in this crystal palace, which is essentially like a greenhouse, there's a good chance that that timber had become Tinder and was very flammable. But the cause of the fire is still unknown, and there was never an official inquiry, which is kind of suspicious. Why would you not look into it? And at the time of the fire, there were rumors of arson. It was probably and more likely an electrical fault, or they say a cigarette in the end, you know, that took it down. Wink, wink. But in reality, you don't know. And who would be motivated to burn this down? That's what you got to wonder. Was it for money? Was it to eliminate the evidence of the Crystal Palace? Questions remain open. Because over the years, it had been patched extensively you know, with wood, because a lot of the times what we're finding is these guys didn't know how to repair these structures, especially at the World's Fair. They don't know how to repair these original structures, and so they have to kind of piecemeal it. And when they do this, they compromise the structure of the facility. And one thing to consider with the Crystal Palace is it contained a lot of wood furniture, other junk. As I said before, it had the, world, the wood flooring So essentially, what it became was a giant tinderbox, or at least that's what they want us to believe. Now, again, arson still needs to be considered. And you look at the devastation in these photos here. I mean, this thing was destroyed, it was gutted. Really, not much left but the frame, the iron frame. Other than that, it's just a mess. Mangled, you know, steel, iron. You're seeing wood. You're seeing collapse. It's just a uh, a sad sight to see when you saw the original beauty of it. So now we're going to move to New York in 1853, which was also a World's Fair called the Exhibition of the Industry of All Nations. And it was held in New York City in 1853. Now, this was a much smaller fair. Okay. It only covered a couple acres. Um, it wasn't, you know, a massive layout like everywhere else, like London in 1853 was a 26 acre complex. The New York fair was only four acres. So it was small in size comparatively. And the crystal palace was built in Bryant park in New York reservoir square. The crystal palace was designed in New York by George Carstensen and the German architect Charles Gildemeister. And it, obviously, it was directly inspired by the Crystal Palace from London in 1851. At the time of the construction, the Crystal Palace was the largest structure in the country, with 173,000 feet uh, square feet of exhibition space. The Crystal Palace was a thousand feet by 500 feet. It, much like the uh, layout in London, the Crystal Palace in New York had the shape of a Greek cross, and was crowned by a dome that was 100 feet in diameter. Also like the Crystal Palace in London, this one was completely constructed of iron and glass, and the speed in which it was constructed, you guessed it, less than seven months. So you're telling me the largest structure in the United States at the time was constructed in seven months or less than seven months. And again, guys, you look at this structure, it is a beautiful structure with glass and iron and the beautiful domed roof and the spires all around it. Beautiful. So we dig into it a little more. There will be gathered here the choicest products of luxury of the old world and the most cunning devices of the ingenuity of the new. And again, what are they setting up here with that quote? The narrative of the old world versus the new world will show you what we had in the past compared to what we're going to bring you in the future. And this all ties in with my theory that this time frame was part of the last great reset where they would get rid of the old world its technology its knowledge to bring you into the industrial revolution and all it had to offer which was a lot of profits for the powerful so with the new york world fair the com- the committee approved a two story building and uh the cost went up to about 200k and uh eventually you know, at the end of the fair, it ran for a few months and it was closed in November 1st of 1854. And uh, after racking up more than 300K in debt, this was the first fair to lose money. Okay. And this is another theme we're going to see a couple times repeated is these fairs losing money. Well, we know how much these people love their money and for them to lose money and keep doing this doesn't seem... Like a, uh, a winning game plan, but for some reason, they keep doing these world's fairs and continue to lose money doing so. So there must be more to it. Is it the narrative? That's what we're, we're here to, to investigate. So we look at the construction of the world of the uh, New York Crystal Palace, and you had two dozen cast-iron columns supported the dome, and each were 62 feet high. You had 32 stained glass windows that decorated the side of the dome, each representing the arms of the individual states as well as that of the Union. An enamel substance was ground to a powder and then applied to the nearly 10,000 panes of glass with a brush in a pasty state. When the enamel dried, decorations were etched out either by hand or machinery. And the panes were heated in a kiln, fusing the enamel onto the glass. Sunlight streamed through resulting, uh, through the resulting frosted panes in a gentle filtered light with none of the excessive heat. So this was kind of an uh, addition to the technology associated with it. So in London, one of the problems they had with the building was massive amounts of heat. As you would imagine with the sun and the glass, it would be like a greenhouse. Well, what they did here was they put an enamel on the glass to, to tint it almost to reduce the amount of light and heat that would come through into the building, which was a revolutionary technique at the time. Now, if we look inside this, it resembles closely to the London exhibition. I mean, you're looking again a two-story structure the giant dome, the beautiful furnishings on the inside. You know, it is a spectacle to see. It is a work of art, not just a building, and which makes it so sad that these things were all perished in fire. So we look, and a gentleman by the name of Theodore Sedgwick declared that the New York Crystal Palace would open to the public May 1st, 1853. It would have more than 15,000 panes of glass. 1,800 tons of iron would form this giant cross-shaped structure, which at the center would have this massive dome we've described before that would rise 123 feet above the city. The Crystal Palace's interior took up about four acres of space, okay? And the groundwork was almost entirely wood. And this, you know, this cathedral, the glass cathedral of the Crystal Palace, it was called the Temple of the National Industry. Now, if we look at the the fair itself, to come into the uh, exhibition, it cost 50 cents for an adult and 25 cents for a child. Season tickets were 10 bucks. And... Supposedly, they got 1.1 million visitors, but they still lost over $300,000. And, you know, it wasn't for a lack of product. It had a wide variety of, uh, of objects that were on exhibit, ranging from fine European paintings to house paint, which was new. Some of the new farmers' implements and tools that were brought. Precision steam engines okay and 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 you had countries and nations and governments from around the globe to showcase their best that their nation had to offer at these fairs, whether it was a raw resource or a finished product okay they would they would present it and m- manufacturers would display their their products okay and it was it was just a, a, an amazing idea but what was the main idea of it other than showing you why did they have to destroy and that's that's where i keep coming back to and one of the big things in the new york fair was the uh mineralogical display which would show some of the you know beautiful resources that the united states had to offer it would have specimens of ores and minerals you know from all over the nation that would show how wealthy and powerful America was. And again, if we look at these photos here, you see the giant beautiful dome structure with a lot of sacred geometry folks. Okay. You're starting to see some of those shapes. Again, you look into it. Some of the Fibonacci sequences in here too. Okay. You see some of that perfect construction that they used at the time. And it was beautiful, beautiful building. You had uh, President Franklin Pierce, who spoke at the dedication of the Crystal Palace on July 4th of 1853. And the aforementioned Theodore Cedric was the first president of the Crystal Palace Association. After a year, he was succeeded by Phineas T. Barnum, who would put together a re-inauguration almost a year later when you had Henry Ward Beecher and Elihu Burritt were the featured speakers of the re-inauguration. And this brought back some more interest in the palace. But by the end of 1856, the interest had waned. You know, Those who had seen it had seen it, and the property was essentially declared dead. Now, two years later, in 1858, what happens? This palace is destroyed by a fire. October 5th, 1958, during the America Institute Fair that was being held in the palace, it was still used, but within 15 minutes, the dome fell and in 25 minutes, the entire structure had burned to the ground. There were no lives lost, luckily. But the damage in the property itself amounted to over 350000 at the time. This included the building itself, which was about one hundred twenty-five k, and then the exhibits and the uh, remaining stuff from the original World's Fair that was lost in the fire. So again, two crystal palaces, two fires, two massive fires that brought down the entire structure. So now we're going to move to Germany in 1854, what's called the Glass Palace, okay? Or This again was inspired, as you would guess, by the construction of the 1851 London Crystal Palace, the original. So the Glass Palace or Glass Palace was a glass and iron building that was located in the old botanical garden of Munich. And uh, it was opened for the first general German industrial exhibition in July 15th of 1854. The, you know, much like the uh, London crystal palace, the design was intricate and very complex and Once again, due to the short time of available construction, you think they would plan out a little bit more, but for some reason, they only plan these things to be built in months. So the design was significantly simplified and relied on use of standard components. So after they got to building it, they decided, ah, we're going to scale down the initial design a little bit and go with something that's a little bit easier to construct. And they did. So conventional construction methods were not possible due to the large amount of building materials required. Again, this is the question we have over and over: Where are these all these materials coming from? They, I mean, they would have had to hopefully plan years in advance to be able to come up with all of this. Now, if we look at this palace again, you'll notice it's in the shape of a cross. Someone say the Greek cross, okay. It is a three-level building this time, not just two. It has three layers to it, and it is a massive structure. Oh, it did only have two stories. Sorry, I forgot the third floor was just aesthetic. The two-story building was 768 feet long, 220 feet wide, and 82 feet high. Again, a massive, massive building. About half the size of the London Crystal Palace, but still enormous for the time. So if we look at it, what we're going to see is it had the similar shape of, it was a rectangular glass palace in the form of five nave and two-story building with a transept in the middle and regular extensions at the end that were rectangular in shape. The building was built entirely of glass and cast iron, much like its predecessors. uh, Load-bearing walls were completely left out of the structure, which is fascinating. And there were 1,700 tons of prefabricated iron parts were made by Kramer Klett in Nuremberg. For this construction, the glass was produced in the more traditional Schmimsfelden glassworks. So everything was made for this in Germany. So the story goes. Now we get to the construction, and this one was built in a mere six months, spanning from December 31st of 1853 to June 7th of 1854. Now, again, we're seeing them build in the middle of winter. Six months in the middle of winter. It's quite a feat. Where they were installed 37,000 windows. And the total cost of the structure at the time was about $455,000. Not cheap by any means. And if we look at these two pictures here, again, much like New York and much like London, the inside was as breathtaking as the outside. You have these beautiful fountains, you have trees, you have exhibitions. You have decorations, the ornate structure of the building itself is just a, you know, a spectacle to see. But much like the other ones, unfortunately, this building, too, was destroyed in a fire June 6th, 1931. Similar fate of the other Crystal Palaces. The cause of the fire was later to be termed arson. Okay, so now we have two out of three where arson is suspected. One, it's confirmed. So the fire in the glass palace was irretrievably, it destroyed more than 3,000 artworks, including more than 110 paintings from the early 19th century, including many paintings from Caspar David Friedrich, Moritz von Schwind, Karl Blecken and Philip Otto Runge. I'm sorry for butchering those names. I am not a good German speaker. And then there were another thousand works by contemporary artists at the time that were heavily damaged, and only 80 pieces of art or artworks were recovered unharmed. A massive fire that destroyed this entire structure. A theme we keep seeing over and over and over Again, so now we're going to move on to Toronto in 1858. So now if we look, we've had England, the United States, Germany. Now Canada gets in the mix. And Toronto for 1858, it had the 13th Provincial Agricultural Exhibition of Upper Canada, which it was hosting. And the palace, again, it was mainly constructed of iron and glass and wood. And this one was constructed in 90 working days, okay? Oh, That's three months, three months. Now think of what it takes to build anything in three months. I can't get my a pothole filled outside my place in three months. But we're able to construct these crystal palaces in the mid-1850s. It was a, this one was smaller, okay. It was only one story. And uh, the gallery itself had about 47,000 square feet. It was officially opened September 28th, of 1858, by the Governor General, Sir Edmund Walker Head. In, 19, in 1878, the Chris Palace was dismantled and moved to a new fairgrounds and upon arrival a second story was added to the building as well as a large baroque styled coppola okay so not only did they tear down the building after it was done about 20 years after the fair was held but they added on to it which i find very fascinating for the time and if you look at this structure again it's it's a beautiful beautiful building for the time and we we look at here and what you see is i mean it is just something to see all these people going to see it and basically what we're told is it had two tiers of galleries 32 feet wide in the center and the galleries you could get up them by uh eight different staircases which were furnished with these beautiful oak steps. And what they did here, because this, uh, they were having, you know, planning for heating issues. What they did is they put 103 ventilators on the roof to circulate air, which is a brilliant idea. And you would think would help keep the internal temperature down, make it more comfortable and also allow them to continue the functionality of it. So at the height of the Flagstaff in the middle here, if you look at the top of this point, it was 185 feet, which is a large size building. You're looking at, you know, the main structure on the outside is iron. Then you have the glass windows, the glass roof. It's just a, a beautiful sacred geometrical building and this one is no different than the others this one became tinder it was holding up well until 1906 so we're talking you know almost 50 years it made it but just after 10 p.m a blaze broke out in the wooden grandstand and despite heavy rainfall quickly spread to the neighboring stables the mail and empire described the dramatic events that unfolded around 11:30 a cry arose from the crowds that the transportation building was alight a spark had found lodgment directly under the eaves of the east front it had gradually eaten into the dry wood of the structure the old crystal palace was soon alight and blazing merrily all efforts to save it were fruitless for the numerous panes of glass in the walls broke with resounding cracks and served as draughts to fan the flame. The old building, furnished to, drenched, to the drenched onlooker a much more striking picture in its destruction than ever before in history. Every window in the are Legion was outlined in black against the background of fire. As the flame seized upon the roof, they leapt into the air, scattering embers in every direction and making a fearsome pyrotechnic display. Finally, dull crashes were heard and the roof began to fall. The girders sank to the ground and all that remained of was a number of scattered black pillars of iron, like giant arms, stretch imploringly to the scarlet sky. A year later, the horticultural building was erected on the same site. And if you look at the destruction here, you just see absolute pure destruction once again. So that's four crystal palaces that we've looked at, four that were destroyed by fire. So the last of the original five that we're going to look at is Montreal of 1860. Now this one this one is one of my favorites. You look at the architecture in this, and it is a work of art. It is an absolute beauty, developed and designed in 1860. Okay, if we look at it, the Crystal Palace was an ex- exhibition hall for the Montreal Industrial Exhibition of 1860, originally located at the foot of Victoria Street, one block west of University, between St. Catherine. Cathcart Streets, then relocated to Fletcher's Field. It was used for temporary exhibitions in the winter. It actually housed the skating rink, which I found really cool. The building was designed by Montreal architect John William Hopkins. It had an iron framework, tin-barreled vaulted nave, and two galleries, each were 20 feet wide, extending all the way around the interior, and once again, much like the others, its inspiration was the Crystal Palace in London. So that just tells you something, guys. This, this Crystal Palace in London was such, you know, high standing that they had to build it in other places. Now was there something more to that? I don't know. Its main facades were of iron and glass. Its side walls were of white brick with rose-colored contrast. With the iron and wood elements painted to match the brick. Its bays were subdivided by three arches, with only the center arch glazed. It was constructed in 20 foot modules. It was originally intended to be 180 feet by 200, but due to some shortcomings, it only was 180 by 120 feet. So they knocked 80 feet off the original plan. And I mean, looking at this building, you can see this, this picture here, the one on the left is a drawing, but this on the right here is a picture of it after the fact. And you know, you look, these are all windows, all beautiful, round, much like they look like the rose windows from a a cathedral. Okay. And you have to wonder if they had some sort of frequency power to them. And you just look at this construction, and it is a beautiful, beautiful building. But much like the others, in 1878 was dismantled and moved. The third one we've seen now that was moved to what is now known as Gene Mance Park. In July of 1896, the Crystal Palace was destroyed by fire. Much like London, much like New York. Much like the Glass Palace. Much like Toronto. And after it was destroyed, it was used for housing a few years later. The original downtown location was the home to the Palace Theater, a movie house. And today contains an alley named Ruel Palace. So... When I originally put this together, we had these five Crystal Palaces. London, which was 1851, burned in 1936. New York, built in 1853, destroyed in 1858. The Glass Palace, 1854, burned 1931. We had Toronto, 1858, it was burned by 1906. And then we have Montreal of 1860, and it was burned in 1896. So now, I kept doing a little bit more digging and found a few more that were quite interesting, okay? And I did not realize that Canada had an affinity for Crystal Palaces and went on a little Crystal Palace building spree. But first, let's take a look at Sydney, Australia, okay? In 1879, Sydney built a Crystal Palace for the Sydney International Exhibition. And only three years later, it was destroyed by fire. I mean, we look at this, look at this Crystal Palace, guys, and it is probably the biggest and boldest out of all of them. I I think it's, you know, more architecturally desirable than even the London one was. I mean, it has a little combination of everything. It has some giant towers with beautiful architecture, arches and pillars and spires on top. You have some cupolas around the outside. You have dome, a giant, massive dome in the building in the middle, a hundred foot dome, okay? And it was 200 200 feet high, 210 feet high. The building was over 244 meters long. Okay, so we're talking almost 800 meters or 800 uh, yards or feet long. And it had over 112,000 meters of floor space. <laughs> it used 4.5 million feet of timber, 2.5 million feet of uh, brick or point 2. 2. five million bricks. Sorry and 243 tons of galvanized iron. Now, this is why this one didn't categorize as a strict Crystal Palace, because it did have a combination of wood, bricks, glass, and iron, okay? And, and basically, by definition, if you want to be a Crystal Palace snob, technically, they were mainly built out of iron and glass with you know timber used for some support and flooring, So, this one is not a dedicated Crystal Palace, but it would be considered in the realm of Crystal Palaces. It was constructed primarily of timber, which ensured its complete destruction when engulfed by a fire in the early morning hours of September 22nd, 1882. The Garden Palace at the time was used by a number of government departments and Many significant records were destroyed in the fire. Most notably, the records of squatting occupation in New South Wales. Between 500 and 1,000 pieces of Sydney Aboriginal artifacts were also lost in the fire. They were destroyed, never to be seen again. Now let's move on. You have, the, you have this in Ireland now at the 1853 International Industrial Exhibition. You have what's called the Dublin Exhibition Palace, which is a crystal palace in itself. Okay, it's much smaller in scale, but the beauty, if you look here, is, is phenomenal. Again, it has the domed roof, the glass. It has some of the Roman columns here out in front. Right on a giant pond, you know, again, you see water, you see fountains. This was the second of three international exhibitions in, Lon- in Dublin at the time. The interior was a marvel of a construction. It covers 15 acres of land. Okay, so it's much bigger than New York and slightly smaller than uh, London. It only cost about $40,000 though, which was kind of hard to believe, but hey, they managed it well. The Dublin Exhibition Palace and Winter Garden is made of iron and glass. As we said before, the main building has three floors, a basement, a ground, and gallery floor levels, okay? After the exhibitions, the buildings were converted to examination halls for the Royal University of Ireland. And then it was later redeveloped in 1914. So here we're seeing them reuse the buildings, which is nice to see. We did that with some other Crystal Palaces that were relocated. But looking at this building, I mean, it is a sight to see. We're going to move to a Crystal Palace in Amsterdam. Now, I do not know how to pronounce this. It's Volkswit is what I'm going to say. And this is from 1864. I mean, this one is a beauty again. It has the old construction. Okay. And again, this one as well, burnt down in 1929. So the Palace vor Volksstadt was designed by architect Cornelius Outshorn and was inspired by the Crystal Palace in London once again. After the Amsterdam doctor Samuel Sarfati visited the Great Exhibition in London, he founded the Vorn Voksten, I can't pronounce this stuff, with the aim of realizing a comparable building in Amsterdam. So much like the others, they drew inspiration from London and said, we got to bring this to our country, our nation as well. This one, however, took five years to build. The construction took place between 1859 and 1864, and the building was used for many years with varying success. But much like the others, in 1929, it met its demise and was in completely and utterly destroyed by a fire. Now, again, we look at this building, and, and it is a massive one. It rivals that of London. London you know, with the size and the scale. And it wasn't a true crystal palace because it did have brick in it. It was a massive, massive structure. Beautiful. I mean, we look here, you're looking at the entranceway and what you're seeing is, again, you see the beautiful sacred geometric uh, layout that they used here for the entrances. You have the dome with the statue on top. it's just fascinating that they were able to build this in the 1800s and uh, just a marvel of architecture and knowledge. So then we get into what I did not realize, but there was a spree in Canada in post 1860. So by 1860, there were no fewer than four crystal palaces or, you know equivalents in Canada. By 1891, there were more than a dozen. Canadians have been quick to dismiss their buildings as crystal palaces, right? Te- and it's on a technicality. They could not be real crystal palaces because they were generally framed in wood rather than iron. And they were Laputian, as you would say, small in stature compared to the other crystal palaces. Most were of timber frame and none had a glass roof. There were very few real crystal palaces, perhaps a half dozen in the world or so, if the structural and functional criteria are applied. Okay, we're getting down to semantics, to definition of, you know, crystal palace being just of wrought iron, glass, and timber. And these ones had timber frame, no glass roof, so they can't really fall into the category but they were crystal palaces. Canada's crystal palaces were properly called something else such as the manufacturer's building or the main exhibition building so they would be called as they were they weren't deemed crystal palaces like the original ones in Toronto and Montreal. So we look here and we have Kingston of 1856 interesting structure with kind of a T shape to it. Not as complex as the others for sure. And uh, let's dig into Kingston a little bit. So it was built in 1856. The Kingston Crystal Palace was the first one built in Canada. It was the predecessor to the Toronto in 1858. There were many that followed that were all modeled off the original Crystal Palace that had been erected in 1851 in London. Our main source of this. The Crystal Palace in Kingston no longer exists, though Palace Road, where the building stood, bears its name in its honor of the structure that used to be there. And what you're seeing here is just outside the Kingston Crystal Palace is a baseball game going on. And that was the uh, palace at the time. We're going to look at Hamilton, 1860. Okay, this was just after the Toronto uh, Crystal Palace of 1858. And this one had an octagonal plan at the ground level that was, again, in the shape of a Greek cross with a whole crown of the cupola. The plan was adopted by architect Albert H. Hill for the Hamilton building. And it was adopted basically to have a timber frame, much like the previous one in Kingston, and unlike Toronto, which tended to have the iron frame. The building was 171 feet wide and long, with the height of the octagon reaching 100 feet. An interesting feature mentioned in the um, publication, The Spectator, is the arched wooden roof. So they had an arched wooden roof. It said the main building forms an octagon and is surmounted by a Greek cross with a dome over the intersection. And so as we look at this structure here, what you're going to see is through the efforts of Alan McNabb and Isaac Buchanan, the 1860 Provincial Exhibition in Hamilton was held. This event was helped to uh, this event helped to improve the city's image which had suffered due to the the Jardin train disaster cholera outbreaks and economic stagnation of the 1850s this was on a 22 acre site and it was chosen for the crystal palace it bordered King Locke Florence and Sophia streets the architect was A.H. Hill and the builder was Robert Gordon After the cornerstone was laid in May of 1859, the palace grounds and grounds were later opened by Edward, the Prince of Wales, on September 20th of 1860. And after that, it became the city's site for the annual Great Central Fair. So if you look at this one, this is a glass-enclosed palace, and it had a flagpole dome on the top. And it was flanked by wings, okay? Inside, it had a floating stairway that led to the banquet hall and to an enlarged balcony. The palace was used year-round for agricultural and industrial exhibits, drama, music, and art. So this is a multi-purpose facility. The grounds, which were enclosed by a board fence and wooden sidewalks, also included several livestock buildings. In the spring of 1891, however, the building was sold at auction for $450 and it was dismantled two months later, which is sad to hear because this is, again, is a beautiful structure. You can see it did have some wood framing, but you look and it's just windows all the way around. Beautiful, beautiful structure. Again, you have the dome, which they said is a wooden dome in the middle. Beautiful structure exquisite architecture now we're going to move to fredericton in 1864 this is another beautiful work of art and again it doesn't necessarily look like a crystal palace but in the loose definition it was considered in the running of them it was designed by architect m steed of st john's new brunswick one of the largest and most ornate wooden buildings in the world at its time it was built in 1864 but met its demise in 1877 when it was destroyed by arson. It was intentionally set ablaze. And if you look at this structure, go back to that one because it is beautiful. I mean, you look at this and again, look at the intricacy of it. This is said to be built with wood, which is very interesting how they could they must've used a lot of staff to cover it up and whitewash the outside because it's just, it doesn't resemble a wood structure at all. It has a very Roman feel to it with the arched entrances and the giant arch, the the, the intricate um, statues and the columns with the arches on top, flagpoles reaching up makes you wonder, is it some sort of, Conductor, or is it just ornate for decoration? But a beautiful structure at that. So now we're gonna go. Toronto revisited it and reconstructed a uh Crystal Palace in 1878. And this was the second Crystal Palace that was hosted by for the uh first industrial exhibition of 1879. It was destroyed in 1906 by fire. And it was this, uh, when it was officially known as the Transportation Building. It was replaced in 1907 with the Horticultural Building. We look at London, Ontario. Okay. And again, looking at the Toronto structure, it has that general feel of the, of the Crystal Palace. Timber frame, gla- lots of glass around the perimeter. It has the sacred geometric Half circle window in the entrance, just like all the rest, with a giant tower in the middle of the building going up towards the sky. Then we have London, Ontario of 1887. This one was tough to find. I found some architectural designs of it, but that was about it. Um, It was a design by architect George Durand, who borrowed many features from Joseph Paxton in London. Again, all of the inspiration, or a lot of it, coming from the original uh, glass crystal palace of 1851. And this one also was destroyed by fire in 1927. And again, this one's a little bit different because it has a, a giant archway in the middle, has two towers right next to it, and it doesn't have a giant dome or anything in the middle of the facility itself, but again it looks like a beautiful structure just seeing what we can see from this rough sketch so the toronto 1878 we're going to look into this just a little deeper arson was suspected okay thanks to two unusual encounters of park commissioner john chambers had with a cyclist who was going around during the blaze Chambers told the Daily Star that a man with a peculiar foreign accent approached him from the grandstand area and told him that the whole place was going to be burned. After Chambers assisted firefighters in saving the fruit building, the cyclist reappeared to tell Chambers, It's no use to save any of these buildings. You might as well leave your hose alone because you can't do any good. When Chambers asked the cyclist to help fight the blaze, the man cursed at Chambers Oh, go to hell and vanished into the night. Now, whether that's a true story or a narrative that is presented to uh, to give the story a little juice, it doesn't matter because the building was destroyed and consumed by fire in 1878. Just an interesting little side note to that. Now, the last one we're going to look at is Victoria of 1891. This is the exhibition building at the Willows Fairgrounds. It was built in 1891, they say, in 60 to 90 days. And it was totally destroyed by fire again in 1907. They, you had 52 large multi-paned plate glass glittering windows extending from the ground, which you'll see here. It was, again, a timber frame with glass almost floor to ceiling, Many towers, you're seeing four towers here around the perimeter with a giant tower in the middle. More than 26,000 square feet of space was on the main floor and 10,000 square feet in the galleries was available for exhibits. A spectacular feature had been planned for the Rotunda, a magnificent ornate fountain emulating the centerpiece of London's Crystal Palace 40 years earlier. Again, inspiration reused. Now, we look at this. Again, the interior of it is beautiful, ornate. You see the the intricate design. And it's just, you know, decorated to the nines in there with exhibits and ornate decorations all around and just the beauty of the architecture and the way it flows. I mean, look at this thing. This was just... A beautiful, beautiful structure that was built and then eventually destroyed by fire. Okay, you look at this giant center tower. You see some of that little Russian influence there. uh, You know, um, Islamic influence with the, uh, the copper top on the tower. Just a beautiful, beautiful building. And that's it that's where we're going to wrap this up this uh i hope you enjoyed that i know it was a little cut and dry because we're just describing buildings here but to see this repeatedly right we see these glass palaces are built and they're all consumed by fire in the end or almost all of them i think one or two survived now which makes you, leads you to believe why would they keep putting in all these this effort to build these facilities to only have them go by fire you know they wouldn't have any sort of technology or try to develop any sort of technology to expand the life of them and obviously as you put more and more wood with glass you are creating an issue but as you'll see and as we've shown time and time again there were rumors of arson that would destroy these. Now, who would be the ones committing the arson? Would it be someone looking to collect insurance on these buildings? Would it be just someone who, a pyromaniac who likes to see fires and see things destroyed? I don't know. There's not a whole lot as to uh, of information out there as to, you know, Who set these fires? What caused them? Sometimes you'll get a little wild story like you do in Chicago for the world's fair where like a cow's tail knocked over a lantern and started a massive fire. But, you know, it makes you question, why would these things be built only to be destroyed by fire years later? And, you know, The original Crystal Palace, you have to give it a lot of credit. I mean, Paxton designed a beautiful building. But that leads you to believe, did Paxton actually design it? Or did he have this design or find this design? I don't know. I'm just throwing questions out there. Things that I would, you know, I'm interested in. Things that I haven't been able to uncover in my research so far. There's a lot of questions that still remain about this stuff. Because much like everything with the 1800s, There's the narrative that you are presented, and then there's some other possibilities. And a lot of times as we dig deeper into these things, the possibilities start showing that there may be more intent here than what meets the eye. But overall, guys, I I find these buildings and, and the architecture fascinating. Again, we are building these things essentially with horse and buggy, with pulleys and levers, you don't have cranes, you don't have power tools. And these structures are just beautiful. The the structural, you know, integrity of them and the design that must have gone into them is, is top-notch. And yeah, we could probably do these things today, but I don't think we could do them in the time frames that these things were supposedly built with. I mean, if you have 2000 guys working on something, could you build out 18 acres of land to build a crystal palace these days? I don't know. I'm, I'm not an engineer. I just find that timeline awfully tight knowing the way that construction projects go today. I do deal with some construction in my real world job and I've done some project management on some uh, retrofit building of uh, buildings and I know it is not a quick process it can be slow it can be tedious there's setbacks so to complete anything in 6 to 9 months is just breathtaking so with that said folks uh take a look into these you know look at it's, go dig on your own see what you find if you find anything else let me know i'm all ears with this stuff i am just presenting to you what i find and what i would like to see is all at Sometime what you find as well, and see what kind of storylines you come up with, what kind of information you're able to uncover in this and uh and just keep digging guys that's the whole point of this. Just keep unlocking this stuff keep bring it to the forefront. People need to know about these things they're beautiful structures, and uh i I, I think You know, it's something that's that's quite interesting that they all were built in relatively short times. And then almost all of them met demise by fire. The weapon of the 1800s was fire. Think about all the great cities that burned. All the world's fairs that were destroyed by fire. It's just a reoccurring theme of the 1800s. Things being destroyed and consumed by fire. And what happens afterwards, they want you to believe we are the phoenix rising from the ashes. The Industrial Revolution, it brings on that phoenix that brings us from a time of darkness into this age of enlightenment, age of industrialization, or as I like to call it, the age of slave labor, debt slavery. This is where they start introducing this stuff, Okay. So that's all I got for this one. Stay tuned. Next week, we will have another presentation. I haven't decided which one I'm going to do yet. Um, it's going to depend on how much time I have. Uh, because, uh, like I said, the, the Chicago one is going to take a couple hours. I have a feeling it's going to be probably a two to three hour presentation. So I'm going to probably in all likelihood, break it up into two parts. Um, The video would say one part, but from a podcast perspective, I may break it up into two sessions. But we'll see. Um, And as with everything else, folks, you can find this on any of my podcast platforms that I deliver through. I am more than ecstatic to announce that I am now a part of Alt Media United. So you can find all of my work there as well, AltMediaUnited.com. It has all the links to my Instagram, to my YouTube. It has all of my episodes on there. Um, and then links to find it on different podcast apps as well. So I highly recommend you go over and check out all the other great work over there. Man, there's so many good podcasts on there. I'm like, I'm kind of in in shock that I'm over there right now because there's the, some of the best of the best over there. You know, you you have podcasts like My Family Thinks I'm Crazy New York Patriot, uh, Dangerous World, all these great shows. Deplorable Janet's over there with her deplorable nation, and some really big, big podcasts are over there. And I'm just honored to be a part of it and have my work uh, be shared on that platform. So thank you, Mark. I really, I really appreciate you uh, asking me to join the uh, the cooperative. And guys, that's what this is all about. All right, it's about sharing share the podcasts around. You find a good one, send it to your friends, share it on Instagram, share it on Facebook, Twitter, wherever, whatever social media you use, get the message out there. I mean, we, a lot of us content creators are uh, just doing this on our own. We're not making money. I know my, I'll speak for myself. I'm actually paying money to do this podcast on a weekly basis and I enjoy it so much. It's worth it to me. So what I ask from you all is to, to, to leave us reviews, you know, that goes far in the algorithm to share it to your friends, family, coworkers, whoever, anyone that might be interested. And let's get some discussions going, right? Let's, let's get back to talking about things. And I've put out a couple bombs of, of podcasts the last few days. Um, last week I put out a, a three and a half hour Podcasts I did with uh, Beyond Top Secret Texan, which is one of my favorite conversations I've had since doing uh, podcasts, where we went over alternate histories throughout time. Man, there's a lot in there. So, hey, is all of it true? Pro- probably not all of it. But guess what? It's to get you to think, to be able to discuss. Okay. And we have to get out of every discussion we're in being emotional and just immediately discrediting anything anyone says and not just being able to sit there and consider it. That's all we're asking. Consider it. Think about it. And then tell us why you think it's bullshit. Okay, just don't automatically shoot it off right away and say, oh, that's crazy. That's not, they told us in school, it was this, this, and this. Well, guess what? There's a lot they've told us in school that turns out to be bullshit. Okay, and that's what we're uncovering here is question everything, right? Question everything I presented to you tonight. Question everything that you hear on the news. Question everything that you read, that you see on social media. Don't just assume anything is true. Use a little discernment. Don't be scared of cognitive dissonance. If something is against your narrative, Open your mind a little bit. Just consider. You don't have to believe it, but be able to think about it. And that's when things will start to change. Okay, so check this out on, like I said, any of my podcast platforms. I will have the video up on YouTube as well at the Great Deception Podcast. Um, And I will be working on a bit shoot and we'll let you all know when I get it up there as well. Like, review, share, do anything you can. Guys, I appreciate all that you do. I appreciate uh, being able to bring this information to you. And I just want to thank you. I say, as always, stay strong and question everything. cruelty and injustice, intolerance and depression. And where once you had the freedom to object, to think and speak as you saw fit, you now have sensors and systems of surveillance coercing your conformity and selecting your submission. We need cameras. How did this happen? Who's to blame? Well, certainly there are those who are more responsible than others, and they will be held accountable. But again, truth be told, if you're looking for the guilty, you need only look into a mirror. I know why you did it. I know you were afraid. Who wouldn't be? War, terror, disease, there were a myriad of problems which conspired to corrupt your reason and rob you of your common sense. Fear got the best of you, and in your panic you turned to the now High Chancellor, Adam Sutler. He promised you order, he promised you peace, and all he demanded in return was your silent, obedient consent.